0: Pastor John I'm our associate pastor here if you're um, newer with us and I haven't got to meet you I would love to do so later but um, Joe has been out of town this weekend and I'm uh, getting the great privilege to, to preach so he didn't have to prepare while he was on vacation um, and I saw this passage coming up and I got excited because it is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture um, Not because it makes me happy, but because it beats the snot out of me every time I read it. Um, it's one of those passages that's good for your soul. And so, uh, I'm excited. We're gonna be in, back in Luke chapter 10, verse, starting in verse 38. Um, we're probably gonna have the shortest passage this morning for the rest of our study in Luke, as we're looking over it. Um, things kinda start getting into bigger and bigger chunks. So we're just gonna focus in on this, this little picture. Um, Jesus utters one sentence in this. It's a short passage, uh, but it's so good. And uh, as I was kind of thinking about this passage and and how it what it does in my heart, um, my mind drifted to to an episode that happened three or four weeks ago in our house. Um, most of you all know I have I have two kiddos. One is in kindergarten, Emma, and um, then my son Nathan. He's he's about four and a half now. And for those of you who don't know my son, I mean, he is a ball of energy and uh, just fun and hilarious. He is he did not get this from me. He is absolutely a riot. Um, But we started watching Star Wars with them for the first time. And so they, I mean, it from the moment it clicked on, it has been Star Wars and Star Wars and more Star Wars around my house. And it is amazing how many objects can be used as a lightsaber. I will tell you that um, and how much damage they can do. But anyway, all that to say, so we had we had watched the first Star Wars and my wife hears this. Uh, upstairs i i think it 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 may have been uh Martin Luther King Jr. uh day or something like that both kids were home upstairs playing and she she sees them come out get the snack and they're dressed and i mean Nathan head to toe is is got Vader he had the little outfit um mask everything i mean lightsaber he is ready to go and Emma had went into our bedroom and got one of my t-shirts my white t-shirts and has got her hair wound up. And she is Leia. And I mean it's going. And My wife overhears this conversation. Going on upstairs. So Nathan Vader. Nathan Darth Vader. Where are the Death Star plans you took? And Emma Leia replies. I don't know what you're talking about. So far direct quotes. I'm really impressed. They only watched it once at this point. But then we, we deviate from script. Darth Vader. Leia. Lying is a sin. You're breaking God's law. <laughs> Not. He didn't, quite, uh, he didn't quite take that one from the original script. Um, but, uh, but anyway, we've been having fun with this. But my kids have love. I mean, now every time Vader came on the screen, I mean, it was cheers for Vader. They love Darth Vader, particularly Nathan. And it just made me think about how this text, what it does in my heart. I pick the wrong hero in this text. Uh, it, it's the story of a lady named Martha and her sister Mary. And, and Martha seems to be the hero in this. She, she seems like she's the one who ought to be commended. And as a matter of fact, her, her actions are confronted. And she, she's not the hero But she's the one who's getting things done. She's the one who's taking action. She's going out. She's a servant. She is serving and giving of herself. She seems like the hero to the independent, strong-willed person in me. And Jesus just, just takes this story and flips it. And she's no longer the hero of the story. We're, we're going to see what happens in this, and, and basically today the, we're going to read the text and we're talk about it here a little bit, but then I, I want to share three things from you from my life. So I, I've titled the, the sermon today, The Confessions of a Reforming Legalist, um, because if, if, if legalism had a pro league, I'm an all star. I mean, that, this is me. And so I want us to come to this text. I want us to be honest with ourselves. And I want you to take just a moment and maybe see if through this text, through God's Word to us this morning, He won't prick something in your heart, a corner, a crevice that doesn't get grace. And We want to root out that evil that's still there within our own souls. So this is Matthew, or excuse me, Luke 10. Verse 38 says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. It's a short little passage. Four verses. And we're gonna we're gonna hear this. I want you to think of this as a series of two bookends. So so there's a beginning, there's an ending to this. And Joe preached the beginning two weeks ago. So if you weren't here for that, or or just are like me in dreary morning two weeks, that's that's an eternity ago. But he preached the Good Samaritan. So y'all remember that story I I hope um even if you don't remember that Jesus is dealing with a lawyer and he doesn't want to do good by everything you know there's certain people oh yeah I'll help my friends I'll help those you know I'll help the good people to help the people that it's easy to help but he he wanted to justify himself and think you know I don't really need to go out there and actually you know put put stuff on the line risk anything sacrifice so Jesus tells the story of a man who's beat up robbed left for dead along the side of the road and three people come by. The first one is the good religious person, walks right on by and leaves him. The second is is the the good moral soul and walks right by him and leaves him. And the third is the foreigner um, who who was it was like a half breed. I mean, they they were their ancestors basically betrayed the the Jewish nation. And I so, you know, said, those, those people. He walks by and helps the man. And Jesus said, who you know. Who knows what being a neighbor is in this story? I mean, it's kind of I love it. Jesus turns it like, you know, you do the kid's storybook, you know, and well, the one who helped him, the one who loved him. And uh, Jesus says, go and do likewise. So he confronts this heart problem of religion wanting to be all inside, all in the head. Oh, it's just me, you know, me and Jesus kind of thing. No, we got to go out and love people. And then. Turns around, the next sentence, and I think Luke put these together very, very intentionally. He confronts this woman who does stuff and does stuff and does stuff and does stuff and does stuff. And and in her doing, absolutely misses the point. She has Jesus in her house. I mean, think about this for a minute. She has the Jesus is at her house. And she hasn't even talked to him yet. She's absolutely missed the point. Um, there was a song that's run through my head all week long. Some of you probably, few of you probably remember it. And those of you who remember it, I'm sorry because it's goofy. It's just a goofy song. But way back when I was a teenager, um, the newsboys were big. And they did this song that was not typical for them. It was actually kind of like a rock ballad. And, and the whole point of the song is we've lost the plot. Like we we're in this story, and we forgot how the story's going, and and it was kind of a a wake up call. You're missing the point. You've lost the plot, and this is exactly the case for Martha. She's missed the point. She thinks she is there to do something for Jesus. But the absolute point of the Gospel, the whole reason God gave us His Scriptures is not to tell us what we're to do for Jesus. The whole point is what is Jesus or what was Jesus here to do for us? That's the whole thing. Martha has missed it. She thinks the whole point of asking Jesus over to her house is so Jesus will think she's looked good, get her to heaven, and everything will be good for Martha from there out. But that's absolutely not it. The whole point of Jesus coming to her house is to do something for her. It's not about Martha. It's all about Jesus and what He has done. I came across this study this week as I was studying. Uh, it was done about 10 years ago, right, right, uh, right, around 2005. It was done by the University of Pennsylvania. And what they were looking at is that it seemed like their students, the, the faculty was looking out and it, it seems like the students are just unhappy. Like they don't seem to be happy people. They, they, what's wrong and the conclusion, they give all these statistics and, and a whole series of things. Um, I read through it. It's really interesting if you look up University of Pennsylvania study um, about uh, perfection. But here was their concluding sentence. The pressures engendered by the perception that one has to be perfect in every academic, co-curricular and social endeavor. Can lead to stress and in some cases distress. Let me, let me read that again because it's kind of a complicated sentence. But the pressures engendered, engendered, excuse me, by the perception that one has to be perfect. In other words, the pressure we feel by the call, that, that something in us that tells us we have to be perfect. This is about academic, co-curricular, social never. In other words, every aspect. We, we feel this pressure, whether it's something we're doing. They were talking about students academically, but socially. But things we're doing even for fun can lead to stress and in some cases distress. Then they, this was what they said was the, the result of that. In turn, this distress can manifest itself as demoralization, alienation, or conditions like anxiety, depression. For many students, mental illness can come and even lead to suicide. And what's it all about? Feeling you have to be perfect. I told you this was kind of my, my manifesto, my confessions today. I came across this verse very early. I don't know how old I was. A verse that haunted me for years. And Jesus said it. Be perfect, therefore. As I am perfect, the first haunted night. I can't be perfect. Some of y'all who know me, I'm a rule follower. It like I may not like rules, but I follow them anyway. I'm one of those goofy that okay, I'm going to do it. Um, My daughter's this way too. You know, she's she's easy to parent. Tell her something to do, she may not like it, but she's going to do it. Um, I just do that I keep the rules and so if you give me the rule be perfect you know what I'm going to do I'm going to go nuts being perfect because I'm going to keep the rule and as a kid I heard this I thought ha, perfect I'm reading all this stuff you it doesn't work that way you can't get there um, Jesus says another statement Be holy. God's separation from sin is perfection. His glory is separation from sin. Be holy, therefore, as I am holy. Reading in the Old Testament, Moses and God. God's spoken word to Moses. I am holy. And he sets this up and he demonstrates what this looks like. God's going to share with Moses His holy law with the people. So they cordoned off a mountain. Just let that one sink in. They put a fence around a mountain. No one's to go on it. It says if an animal steps over the fence, if the deer hops over the fence, fried. This is what God's holiness is like. It is so perfect, you can't get close to it. And Moses and all the elders are supposed to go up, the leaders. So they all walk up there and Moses is about to cross the fence as God's told him to do. So he's going to be OK. All the elders are supposed to go with him and they pant, uh-uh, ain't doing that. And up above, they can see lightning bolts, clouds. Th- I mean, it's just this raging storm. As Moses is about to cross over into holiness. They're, they're too chicken. They won't do it. Huh? They ain't doing it. They stay behind. Moses, when he comes down from this mountain, he is quite literally glowing, like shining, looks like a light bulb glowing. This is God's holiness. And Jesus says, be holy as I am holy. Martha got those scriptures. And so did I. And so what does she do? Look back there in the text. Martha welcomed her into her house. That's verse 38. Jesus, yes. Oh, yes. I need to take care of Jesus. Come into the house. She has a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much what? Serving. That's a good thing, right? By the way, the whole Bible commands serve others as I have served you. She's serving. She went up to him, and as a matter of fact, she is such a good, righteous person trying to be so holy, she says, not only am I doing it, I'm going to correct those who are not. That lazy Mary, my sister. I'm sure that had nothing to do with the fact that she was on her. But, but she's going after her sister because she's not doing enough. And Martha is going at it. So sometimes if you're like me uh, bible passages get so familiar that like they don't have their punch anymore let this one punch a little Martha is serving Jesus uh, last I checked any one of us who asked is serving Jesus a good thing or a bad thing would put the check mark on the good thing right This is where everything turns. And this is what I had to come to understand that just absolutely revolutionized my entire world. It's the reason I'm still alive today. Remember that quote I read? For some students, mental illness can lead to suicide. That was me. This understanding literally saved my life. Because I couldn't do it. I knew the call of God to be holy, to be perfect. I'd read His Word. I knew what that meant. And I couldn't do it. Neither could Martha. Listen to what Jesus says to her. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. I've had Brady Bunch things going through my head all week too. It just, that's not the tone, Martha. Martha, it's a tone of love. You are anxious and troubled about many things. Doing this, doing this, getting this done. This, you're troubled. You're anxious. Earlier, it says she was distracted, but one thing is necessary. and Mary has chosen the good portion. In other words, the one thing that's necessary. And what had Mary chose? That's simple. I mean, this isn't like deep theology stuff here. What did Mary choose? Listen to this. Listen to those words. Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to His teaching. That's very simple. She chose Jesus. It wasn't this big theological thing that separated Mary and Martha. It was the very person of Christ. We actually see later Mary and Martha come to play again and and actually it seems like Martha actually gets it. Um, it's, It's really a cool thing to see. We see them come up two or three other times in Scripture and it seems like Martha gets the point. But like, there was no theological difference between these two ladies. When they have something bad happen, their brother actually dies brother was one of Jesus' really good friends. They asked Jesus the same hard question. If you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. In other words, where were you, Jesus? Exact same question from these two ladies. Their theology wasn't different. What they thought of God was the same. But how they understood how to get to God was very, very different. Martha was going to get there by doing what she was supposed to do. And surely God would reward her. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. That's it. She sat at the feet of Jesus. That's the point of the text. Now I want to do two things. I want to ground this in history a little bit. And then I want to tell you three things that pulled my heart astray. And I want to confess them to you. And I ask you to hold me accountable to never, never go back. But I also want to ask you to look in your own soul and see if they're there. So history. Um, I've shared a little bit about this before um, when I started reading this book. And my book has grown, as you can see. Um, this book is called The Whole Christ. It's by Sam Claire Ferguson. So, I mean, it's got to be right. And you, you have to read it with a British accent. Um, he's a Brit. This work has been about 20 years in the making and it's his shaping of his pastoral ministry and his his academic work. And and what he came across was this guy named Thomas Boston. And Thomas Boston was a normal average preacher in uh, Scotland. So he was up north, British Isles. And he discovered this book. This book. It's called the Morrow of Modern Divinity, and the way he discovers it is he goes to this. He's a new a new pastor. He goes to this little lady's house, and he says she's just this just sweet, amazing little girl. You know, old lady, not little girl, old lady. But she's little and she's sweet. And she says, you know, i got these two little books for you. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. And she had two books for him. and He said one was terrible. And then the other one was this. It was called The Morrow of Modern Divinity. He'd never heard of the book. He'd been to seminary and it, it picks up the book. And he's nice. He knows the other one's junk. And so he takes this one because he doesn't know. And he sets it on his shelf. And it's there like two years, he says. And then finally he was bored one day. I see what that is and and reads it. I mean, he feels kind of bad because he told the little lady to read it and he starts reading. It and it's just ah, it's so good. Um, a couple different theologians, um, one of them being a pastor named Alistair Begg, has called this one of the five seminal works in um, the Reformation since the Reformation. So since Martin Luther. It's it's an incredible book. I'm so excited. It's just gone back and repent, so I reprint. So I had to show you this. And I want to tell you what this is. So what this book did was it confronted these Scottish pastors. It was written by a Scottish pastor. And basically said, you guys have got this mistaken thing going in your head. Number one, you think people have to repent and clean their lives up before they come to Jesus. So in other words, okay, you know, Big sinner out there. He wants to trust Christ. What they would tell him to do, in other words, essentially counsel him, is okay, clean your life up, show me you're really repentant, and then you can trust Christ. And it confronts that. That's a lie, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about why that's a lie from script, you know, out of Scripture here in just a second. But the second thing confronted was what repentance was these Scottish pastors had an understanding of repentance as penance, like Roman Catholic penance. So when you repent, when you turn from Christ to sin, that's what repentance means. It literally means turn. That's what the word means. So we're turning from walking in our way of sin, turning to Christ Himself. They had this misconception that repentance was turning from sin and then doing something to make up for it. You know, whether it was saying Hail Marys or going and doing something good for somebody else or all these different things that would be prescribed. And that that penance, that work helps you get to where you can see Christ again. You have to kind of cover up your sin with something good and then you're back with Christ. And the moral of modern diversity calls that heresy, which it is, and says, no, 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 you don't get it. It's not you it's not what you do for Jesus it's what Jesus has already done for you it's not did you serve well enough when Jesus was at your house for the party it's did you set at his feet and actually come to know Christ do you know Jesus Um. I want to read you a little section of this book. Um, This whole Christ is basically a historical analysis of all this stuff that happened with this book, The Morrow of Modern Divinity. I want to read this to you. If you get a book, read this one. That one's really um, tedious to read. It says, True, we who were once sold under sin upon which sin had closed the mortgage. Don't you love that phrase? And doesn't that, I mean, you all remember the signing the papers on your mortgage? That's that's like makes you want to vomit, right? I mean, just knowing how much money you're signing away. Sin had closed the mortgage on your life. We have now been purchased by the precious blood of Christ. We are no longer under the law, but under grace. Yet, so long as the law uncovers sin in our lives, in other words, so long as we see more sin in our lives, we are liable to fall back into the old legal view of ourselves. I have to do good for Jesus to like me. This is why the psychology of the old life can take much longer to shift than its theology. In other words, it's one thing to know and understand Jesus saves us by grace. It's completely something different to live every second of every day in a life full of Christ. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Rather than doing penance to cover over those bad things that you did. We understand the Gospel. Yet there is a continuity in the person who lived under the law's condemnation who knew nothing of God's grace in Christ. We've moved into a new house Fully paid for. Okay, back to the mortgage illustration. You've moved into a house. The mortgage is paid off. But it may be a long time before we loo- it loses all the vestiges of its former owner. So with us, there remains in us much that can stimulate the legalistic instincts of our past. Thus, many Christians find that the sunshine of God's grace in Christ is obscured. That's what we look out and see rather than the sunshine of God's face looking upon us. I know it's going to turn to snow somewhere and we're just going to all... you know. Anyway, we've got to get a gun before it starts. And you know it's not going to stick. We're, no fun for us. Thus, many Christians find that the sunshine of God's grace in Christ is obscured. And they walk uncertainly in darkness instead of in light. They need to learn, this is so good, they need to learn that Jesus is more full of grace than I am of sin. what Thomas Boston wrote when he read this book, The Morrow of Modern Divinity. And what's so cool, if any of y'all are history books, y'all need to get these. It's just an amazing story. But this is the text. And what a scholar found was Thomas Boston's actual copy of the book. And he's written all over this thing. And they printed his notes as he came to understand grace. And so you you read through this and you start seeing it. And he marks everywhere law, grace, law. And he just starts marking this through as he's working through this book. And here's what his conclusion is. Both the Morrow, Thomas Boston, Sinclair Ferguson, all this history comes together and it's called, or they say it in the terms of, you need the whole Christ. All of it. Him. Not just knowing about him, not just knowing what he did for you. You need him. It's the difference between Mary and Martha. Okay, all right, here's the snow. I told you it's going to happen. Yep. All right. Amen. Colorado boy, I miss that stuff. All right. That is actually really pretty, isn't it? Alright, so here's my three confessions. The confessions of a reforming legalist. As we start looking, how does this actually... There's the Scripture. There's the history. We need the whole Christ. We need to sit at the Lord's feet. How does this actually work itself out in life? And what is the opposite of that? Because I, I can tell you from experience, I learned this stuff the hard way. Confession number one. As a legalist, I developed a false understanding of how to come to God. I developed a false understanding of how to come to God. I was saved when I was nine. Um, I love to read. Y'all can probably tell that by this sermon. <laughs> Not exactly interesting stuff all the time. I love to read. I, I I did well in school. And like I say, I loved keeping rules. I mean, it's, just, it's in me somehow. And so when I was at church, I was the kid they, that your mama told you to be like, like that was, that was me. I was the one who always won the awards in Sunday school. I always brought my Bible. You know, that's back when we had the little offering envelopes. Some of y'all remember these and you had to check the boxes. Oh, I checked every box every, like, You betcha. Um, and, and I mean, I did it all. And my brain's already processing these things and we'd we'd had a move. It had been a lot of just wild stuff going on in our family. It was good stuff, but it was wild. And my heart was just dying inside. Because I knew I was doing all this, but I knew I wasn't doing enough. I couldn't get there. And finally, by God's grace, A missionary, home from the field because his daughter had cancer, was pastoring the church. And he told me, Do you actually know Jesus? Oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus is this, this, he died for my sin. No, 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 no. Do you actually know? Have you ever actually trusted Christ? Do you actually know him? Not know about him. Do you know him? Within 30 minutes. I trusted Christ. My soul was free. And I remember that freedom. You couldn't keep me out of that baptistry. I mean, it was next week, next week, you know. Um, we were going on vacation the next day, our family, you know, looking. I didn't want to go on vacation because we were going to miss a Sunday, and so I couldn't be baptized right away. I mean, the freedom was life giving. Because I come to know Jesus, not just know about Him. It wasn't a matter of trying to tip my scale up. The scales had been stomped and crushed by Jesus Christ. Him. Not just what He did. By Him. My message to you. You have been trying to get there on your own. I'm not necessarily talking to to the the person out there who won't darken the door of the church. Who who you know what? I'm talking to the person who's been here every day for seven years. I mean, you come, you know, we have a work day and you are here. And I mean, you come here early and bring donuts for everybody. I mean, like, do you know Christ? Is the work that you put in to please Him because He's unpleased with you? Or just because you enjoy being with Him and it it bubbles out of your soul? Do you know Christ? And if you don't, like Mary, it's, it's knowing Him Do you intellectually assent, yes, this is true. I am a Christian. I don't believe this and this that makes me a Buddhist. I don't believe this and this that makes me a Muslim. I believe this and this that makes me a Christian. Or or do you believe and have you placed your faith in Jesus? This is the struggle of Martin Luther that started the Reformation. He, He read these verses, Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And this phrase just drove him nuts. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. That is As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And that phrase, the righteous shall live by faith. He said, no, it's not by faith. I have to do this. Penance was one of his words. I have to do the penance to cover over this or I could not be pleasing to Christ. I'm too vile in my soul. And then he made this discovery. He makes this statement. I grasped the righteousness of God is that righteousness by which through grace and the sheer mercy of God justifies us through faith. Thereupon, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise he got it and he said it's like the door to heaven got kicked open and i walked through here on earth he was free because he didn't have to do it anymore christ had already done it and he knew jesus The very person of Jesus is our access to God. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That, that's a haunting verse. Not everybody sitting here who said, oh, yes, yes, I'm a Christian. Will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's the one who knows Jesus Christ. It's the one who knows him. Confession number one. I developed a false understanding of how to come to God. And the truth is that praise God by His grace, I somehow came to understand the way we come to God is by Jesus Himself. Jesus said it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Second confession. I developed a false understanding of how to follow Jesus And what being His disciple meant. I developed a false understanding of how to follow Jesus and what being His disciple meant. Immediately following my conversion, I missed one crucial, crucial piece of information. That the way you come to Christ is the way you follow Christ. We follow in faith in Him and turning from sin to repentance. I thought you prayed, trusted Christ, you're saved. Now, you get back to keeping rules. You get back to doing what you're supposed to do because you're supposed to do it. And the be holy because I am holy and seeking that kind of holiness. Be perfect, therefore, as I am perfect. I had to now be even more perfect because now I'm actually a Christian. So I have to work even harder. I went this way till. uh, My 8th grade year. I remember the night laying on my bed just in turmoil. I was guilt. Guilt ridden doesn't even begin to describe it. The weight that just sat on my chest that night. Because while I was praying to confess, becoming distracted in prayer, I became distracted. I got to the point I wasn't sleeping because the commandment of Scripture pray without ceasing. Sleeping would be sin. I was afraid to pray. Because if I prayed, I might become distracted, which would be a second sin. And one sin was better than two, so better not to pray. And every night. I Finally, at some point, go to sleep in utter despair. I was a miserable person. People did not want to be around me because I was so miserable, which made me even more miserable. Jesus meant a set of laws and a set of rules. I did not know the person of Christ on a daily basis. I developed this lie, this false understanding of what it meant to follow Jesus, and that was keep the rules. I mean, by the way, there are moral guidelines all through Scripture. I'm, I'm not dismissing that. But I didn't understand how to keep them. And I did not understand the person of who Jesus was. And that Christianity is not a set of rule keeping. It is a relationship with Christ living in faith filled with his Holy Spirit. I want to read you Galatians 1, 6 through 10. I am astonished that you so quickly deserting him who called you to grace of Christ. So in other words, you got saved by grace by trusting Christ. And are turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another gospel, but there are those who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or if an angel should heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That word actually means cut off. In other words, you're, you're sliced off from the family of God. As I have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. I didn't stumble and repeat that. It actually repeats that in the Scripture text. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This goes against everything that's in us. We're not trying to please men by preaching. He says if there's a different gospel that you're getting now, if you started by trusting christ and being saved by him turning in repentance from christ or from sin to christ and now it's follow this do this make this happen you've followed a different gospel the gospel isn't for when you start it's for life um, every single day with christ is a life of faith because christ is not simply a set of beliefs Christ is a person. He has a name. Jesus Christ, He is a person. He is God, the second person of the Trinity. And following him isn't following rules, it's following him. It's trusting him daily. Uh, Galatians toward the, the end of this letter, chapter five, verses seven through 12. You were running well and you you got it? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from the one who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, just a touch of this stuff consumes your life. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and that the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, that's what they were telling them to do. The men had to be circumcised and to really follow Christ. So you're going to be really spiritual. But brothers, if I still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. In other words, if you can work your way to heaven. The offense of stepping on your toes and saying you can't work your way to heaven doesn't make any sense. We say you cannot work your way to heaven. Only Christ can take you. And this is, this is where Paul gets nasty. He gets on a little, little, little rudely here. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Is there any clarity about, needed about what Paul thinks of these folks? Yeah, that's in, that's in the Bible. You want to circumcise? You want a little snip-snip? Cut the whole thing off. That's what Paul says. That's scriptural. That's how serious Paul gets about this stuff. He says just a little bit of leaven it's going to ruin the whole thing. A little bit of yeast makes all the the dough go up, right? You get a little bit of this, it will corrupt your entire Christian life. Philippians 1.21 Here's the solution. For me to live in is Christ. Not a part of Christ. The whole Christ, to use the moral language. Philippians 3, 8-10. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Not knowing about Christ Jesus my Lord. Of knowing Him. The false understanding of get saved and then work your way to holiness is a lie. Now, that doesn't mean your life doesn't change. If Christ comes in, if you know Christ, you will be a different person. All right. So y- y'all know I, I'm I'm the nerdy guy. OK, I had it was my best friend in high school finally told me I had my favorite shirt in high school. It was the only name brand shirt I had. And it was yellow and had this jagged line black and then yellow on the bottom. And it, I thought it was so cool. Some of you are getting why this is so funny. He finally told me in college when I was still wearing the shirt. John, it's, it's the Charlie Brown shirt. No, it's not John. It's the Charlie. We'd just gotten cell phones that had internet. It's the Charlie. Oh, no. Like, okay. That's how I dress. That's how I had the same hairstyle from when I was in seventh grade till age 27. Okay. Not kidding. Not kidding. Yeah. Um, I met my wife. My life is different now, and looks different now because of that. Okay, <laughs> yeah, this—I would have thought this shirt was ugly. I mean, it, you know, I had no idea how to dress. She's changed that. All right, we do different things. We 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 don't do, or I don't do certain things because apparently they're they're frowned upon by society. And I... <laughs> anyway, I'm changed because I know. This is not saying in following Christ, we're the same person. But we change not to please Him and not to keep our Christian life. We change because of knowing Christ. We have the whole Christ. Not a little piece. The whole Christ. And it changes us because we know Him. Third confession. I developed a false way of sharing the Gospel. Developed a false way of sharing the Gospel. I expected exactly what the people of the moral controversy. Pray this little prayer and then you're instantly going to keep all of Jesus' laws. Pray this little prayer and you're good for life now. Now, I developed this false understanding of, of conversion, of sharing the Gospel, that if you could get somebody in their head to say, yes, I agree with that, They're a Christian. Now, we do have to agree there are basic tenets. They're truths of the scripture. Jesus Christ, fully God, became fully man, lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross, taking my sins upon him and all of your sins and rose from the dead, ascended onto high rules forevermore. And he calls us to trust him. You have to agree with that to become a Christian. But simply saying, yes, that's right, and Scientology is wrong, does not make you a Christian. It makes you understand what Christianity is. Becoming a Christian is knowing Christ, it's faith in Him. Uh, there's a Christian preacher now that that terms it like this. It's throwing all of yourself on him and anything that might hedge your bets is tossed in the trash. It's throwing all of yourself on him and anything that might hedge your bets, it's placed in the trash. It's completely trusting Christ. And as we share the Gospel, it cannot just be, say this, it has come to know Jesus Christ. He has made the way for you. And he bids you come. Faith and repentance. That's our response. And that does change us. It doesn't instantly change us. We expect people just Whoop, and you said you said a prayer. Now you don't have an alcohol problem anymore. Yay. No. Your marriage is instantly happy now. You never fight anymore. Right? Does that one work? No. But we share. Come to know Jesus. Come to love Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight. This is Jesus talking. He said to his disciples, he has this crowd and he talks to them. And His invitation isn't believe this, do this. L- listen to His invitation. Come to Me. All who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He does it all. He gives us rest. Revelation 3.20 Jesus says it like this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears Me, Hears my voice and opens the door. I will come in with him and eat with him, and he with me. Christianity is not this set of rules. There are moral laws. But Christianity is knowing Christ. The word Christian means a little Christ. In other words, you're with this guy so much you look like him. So here's the call. In your soul, where are you a legalist? Are you trying to work your way to heaven? You need to fall upon Christ and be saved. Are you trying to follow Christ by being good and working your way there? The call is by faith, fall on Christ every single day. Know Him. as we present the Gospel. We present Christ to people. Would you pray with me? Our, our worship team's going to come up. We're going to sing the love of God. I think I don't know if it's Chad's favorite song. He loves this one. He, he threw this one out when we were planning. I want us to sing the love of God. And I want us to get just maybe a little peace and realize He loves us, Jesus, we can know him and he has made the way to Christ to God. We can trust him and we can experience the love of God. If you need to talk to somebody, you, maybe you are the person who's trying to work your way to heaven and you need to trust Christ. You need to fall upon Christ. You need to come and sit at his feet as the scripture said today with Mary. Maybe you're the one who's been distracted for so long. Come to Jesus.